0: Welcome to Ploughing Through Brexit, Farmers Guardian's Brexit podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to this very special Farmers Guardian Ploughing Through Brexit podcast with me, Will Evans.
0: And me, Abby Kay. Today, we're lucky enough to have four great guests with us as we're hosting a double length devolved special where we'll take a closer look at the Brexit situation in Scotland and Wales. So, joining us from Scotland, we have the Rural Economy Secretary, Fergus Ewing. Hi, Fergus. Hi. And we're also very pleased to be joined by the President of NFU Scotland, Andrew McCormick. Hi,
2: Andrew.
1: And from Wales, we have the Minister for the Environment, Energy and Rural Affairs, Lesley Griffiths, and NFU Cymru President John Davis. Hello both. Hi. Uh, welcome to this distinctly Celtic feeling podcast, everyone. I very much hope that everyone on the line is still smiling after Saturday's epic Six Nations finale.
3: Turning
1: off. Not, uh, <laughs> not sure about Abby though, as the sole Anglo-Saxon amongst us. <laughs>
0: Believe me, Will, my Englishness is not the only reason I'm not smiling because the only thing I know about rugby is it involves a strange-shaped ball. So there's an opportunity for your smugness to go and check here, Will.
1: Smug Smug me. Um, No idea what you're talking about, Abby. Anyway... As much as I'm sure we'd all prefer to talk about rugby for thirty minutes, we would better focus on the subject in hand.
0: Yes, I think that's probably for the best. <laughs> but I do hate to let people get away with being smug. Um <laughs> so everyone, there are just ten days left until the original deadlines leave the EU, though that's looking increasingly likely to change. Fergus, you've told me before that the Scottish mm-hmm. Government fundamentally disagrees with NFU Scotland about the need to back the withdrawal agreement to avoid a no deal Brexit. Could you explain to our listeners what exactly it is in the agreement that you object to?
4: Well, we work closely with Andrew and, of course, uh, Leslie, but ultimately we believe the withdrawal agreement will have a detrimental effect on our farmers and profters, and that's something that, that we cannot and will not stand for. That's because it does ignore the devolved settlement devolved where farming is devolved, and it's negotiated without any real input the devolved administrations, which sadly has been a theme of the way the UK government has approached Brexit Mm -hmm. in a kind of feckless and reckless fashion. It fails to deal with loss of freedom, freedom of movement, which we believe will hit farming and food production and manufacturing very, very hard because of the important work that so many EU citizens do. The loss of free trade will have significant damage, we believe, to scotch and, I think, Welsh lamb and sheep meat. And in Scotland, 62% of the voters chose to remain. Um, Despite that, Abby, we we haven't been intransigent. We did offer two years ago, actually, uh, a compromise option, continued membership of the single market and customs unions, similar to the Norway proposal. But despite our repeated efforts to discuss this compromise alternative for the UK as a whole, or failing that for Scotland, our proposals have been ignored by the UK government, unfortunately.
1: And Andrew, at NFU Scotland, you've obviously taken uh, a more pragmatic view and said although the PM's deal does not deliver all the union's policy asks, it does at least guarantee a path to negotiation and some much-needed certainty for the industry. Are you hopeful that if the deal does pass, you'll be able to get more of what you've asked for in the second round of talks on the future relationship?
2: Yeah, well, I think that's basically the view that we've been taking. W- what we've been putting on the table is actually a withdrawal agreement. It isn't even the future trading arrangement. If we can get this uh, withdrawal agreement passed, uh, and obviously we accepted that this was probably the best deal Certainly, for my visits across to Europe. Uh, they don't seem to be wanting to move anything further than that. They believe they've made a really good offer. Uh, and it's a case of we are, take that, and we've had to accept that as part of it. I mean, a customs union single market, although it probably would answer everybody's questions, it doesn't really mean that we've actually left Europe, which is what the vote came out and said we should be doing. If we had the single market then we'd certainly answer a lot of questions of the freedom of movement of people in that, but it's as close as we can get, and we really, really need to get into the stage where we're discussing what the important things is, what the future trading arrangements are. And that's one of the three pillars that we drew out right from the very beginning. It was trade, it was about labour, and it was future support.
0: Mm. Okay, Leslie. Geoffrey um, Secretary Michael Gove has said that the government will use tariffs, quotas, and legislation to ensure domestic food production standards are protected after Brexit. Do you support this approach, and are you
5: confident that it will actually be pursued? We're really committed as the government to maintaining our very high standards. Uh, not just around the environment and animal welfare but also in food safety, food and drink production in Wales is a very important uh, sector for us. I know the UK government previously indicated it was considering eliminating all tariffs on imports to the UK but many of our industries would really have struggled to compete against imported food and drink produce uh, which has been produced much more cheaply in the rest of the world to much lower labour, animal welfare and environmental standards. So we are pleased The UK government's recognised the importance of the meat sector to Wales. I've raised this with UK ministers many times. We were particularly worried about this. And I'm really pleased to see our concerns have been acknowledged. However, you know, nobody wants to be in this position. I don't think there are any winners in a no-deal Brexit. There are no good options for a no-deal tariff policy, which would then obviously see tariffs applied to EU imports. So the ability to trade food really easily and efficiently is of paramount importance to safeguard the health of consumers. And I know food labelling legislation sets the standards required of food producers uh, to meet their obligation in providing information to the consumer. Again, changes to labelling are inherently tied up with Brexit, so I won't be looking at any labelling issues until we're uh, through Brexit. But it is really vital that food businesses take the necessary steps to prepare for day one of EU exit. Mm -hmm. And registration, labelling, export licensing, packaging rules are just a few examples of the many issues that are facing our businesses. And it's really important. And, and as a government, we've been trying to get this message out continually. It's important that businesses prepare for all eventualities. And if they don't, there's a, re, a, you know, a real threat to their continued trading. And you might be aware that um, tomorrow, we've got Taste Wales Black Cymru uh, starting at the Celtic mm. Man again. This is the second one. We've got over 100 producers there, all showing our fantastic Welsh food and drink. And we've got mm-hmm. 200 buyers in, a third of whom are international. So it's a really crucial time for the industry and I'm really pleased that we're having this event uh, tomorrow.
1: Yeah. John, the NFU has called on the government to set up a trade and food commission to explore how our production standards can be protected after Brexit. Do you think there's an opportunity for the UK to do some groundbreaking work in this area as it's, it's not something which can currently be done very effectively under WTO rules?
3: No, well, it's incredibly difficult to do that under WTO rules to rules but of course um, a lot of promises and commitments have been made by some Mm -hmm. uk uh, politicians around this i was really pleased to hear leslie's commitment there to clear and concise labeling and the Mm. standards going forward because it would be completely unfair if products were imported into this country and uh, were then sold which weren't produced in the same way to the same high standards that we observe here. So I was really pleased to hear that. And obviously it's something that a commission could possibly work on and uh, we could get those conditions written in black and white, really, because we have commitments, you know, uh, some Westminster politicians are making commitments, but um, they they may be gone in a very short time and those commitments may go with them. So it's really, really important we get proper legislation on this.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Okay then, Leslie. Uh, Post Brexit, uh, and this is a subject very close to my heart, as I know it will be to John too. How is Welsh Government going to ensure that tenant farmers are able to access the new public money for public goods scheme? And will you be joining Defra in consulting on changes to agricultural tenancy legislation in 2019?
5: So you'll be aware, Will, that in the consultation I launched last year, Brexit in our land, I asked for input on action. Mm-hmm. Uh, which could be taken to ensure tenants can access new schemes as a specific question around tenant farmers. And the responses to that consultation are still under very close analysis. We will be consulting uh, concurrently with DEFRA on changes to agricultural tenancy legislation. My officials are working with DEFRA on the timing of the consultation and a concurrent consultation would enable us to be very clear on which comments relate to Wales and which comments relate to to England. I think it's really vital going forward, all farming sectors are able to access support schemes. And I do intend to continue to engage with the tenanted sector to ensure mm-hmm. they're not disadvantaged in any way. I think, in fact, I'm coming to see you on your farm again, Will.
1: You are, um, yes, yes, <laughs> very much looking forward to it. i there.
5: We'll have a, a further chat about that then. But as a result, we've not ruled out any changes to tenancy legislation you'll be aware the tenanted sector make up approximately 30 percent of farms in wales so it's mm-hmm. a really important part of the agricultural sector so we've got to make sure that any new schemes support them appropriately
1: mm, absolutely
5: john is this
0: a concern that you're hearing from a lot of NFU a company members because up to 75 percent of farms in wales are reliant on some form of tenanted land i know that i'm certainly picking up a lot lots of worry on this
3: Yes, really, really important that the support goes to the active farmer. And how we define that, of course, is the person that's taking the business risk. And at present, under the public goods scheme, as it was originally designed, there was a lot of concern amongst members. You know, we met with thousands and thousands of members throughout Wales, and this kept cropping up time and time again. So it's really, really important the person that's sweating, the person that's putting the wellies on in the morning doing the work is the person and the family is the one that's getting the support.
0: Mm. Um, do you have any proposals from any few come on the table for how this might be dealt with or are you waiting to see what the Welsh Government come back with?
3: No we've had pretty good interaction actually and I'm quite pleased with how we are seeing things develop so um, you know it's a, it's a really complex area um, you know, in terms of the the legislation and the Agricultural Holdings Act and, and other things around that, but there's some really good ways around how we can blend the environment, productivity, and <clears throat> the opportunities going forward around that. So obviously, where we put, um, support around productivity, that helps the environment as well, and it's the active person that's doing that is the person that's uh, going mm-hmm. forward.
0: Yeah. Moving back to Scotland, then. Fergus, the Scottish Government has been accused of dragging its feet on creating a bespoke post-Brexit policy, and some are now suggesting that the delay means Scottish farms and crofters will get hit with a double whammy of changes to support and trade arrangements in the late 2020s. Do you worry that this could make the industry vulnerable further down the line? And what what sort of direction are you looking to move in after 2024?
4: Well, we don't believe that that criticism is fair or, or accurate. Um, we did bring forward last summer our proposals, which take us to 2024. That's, that's five years. Um, we, we're facing a possibility of a no deal in just over one week, where we've got no clue what's going to happen on the 29th of March, even as we speak. So, hmm. we, we put forward a set of proposals called stability, Simplicity and sim, uh, Stability, which aim to provide a, a fair degree of certainty to thousands and profits regarding future funding over that five-year period. We did have a debate, Abbey, in the Scottish Parliament just uh, on the 10th of January, and the Parliament supports our planned approach, which includes setting up a group involving producer, consumer, and environmental interests to help us work out our long-term policy from 2024. And you know, I think it's fair for me to point out that it was actually a, a representative from the NFU England, Terry Jones, who at the recent uh, uh, NFU Scotland AGM said that he would have personally been very pleased if DEFRA had proceeded more like the Scottish Government at involved mm. stakeholders properly. So we're not smug about this, but we work very closely with farmers. I, I met with a leading farmer from Penrith yesterday, and he was warning of the sudden shock which might be caused to markets in the event of a no deal. And sudden shocks are things that, that we think should uh, be avoided and must be avoided. Uh, but, you know, the UK is pursuing this reckless and reckless approach, sadly. Mm.
1: Andrew, can I bring you in that Your members must be concerned about the long-term future of the sector at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult knowing the, although the sector has explained it, they're making guarantees through to 2024. Mm. Uh, a lot of the decisions we're making on at farm level are, are very, very long term. We would like to just see a, a direction of travel. There's another group that's been set up that's going to help to determine that, but we need to be seeing things being experimented and tried out in this period, this next four or five years, to see what would fit for Scotland. We've certainly put out a document that our members are very, very supportive of called Change, and I think that's the kind of direction But we want to get a lot more people buy in to understand what it is and to be able to deliver everything that we think we can, including environmental, including climate change, but equally, at the base of all of this, We need to be producing food and we need to be maintaining the communities that are out there in the whole of Scotland. Uh, We can't just focus on specific parts, but the whole of Scotland is important, the communities in the whole of Scotland is important. And to Hmm. do that, we need to know what is it we're planning for, because it takes us a long time from we've put the cows and calves or sheep and lamb to to, to see where the market is.
0: Okay, let's talk about how Scotland and Wales can have some kind of input into UK trade policy after Brexit, because this is a really big and important issue. Fergus and Leslie, we already have the Joint Ministerial Committee, where I'm sure you do a grand job of trying to raise policy concerns. But I think you'd probably both agree it's got limitations and it's perhaps not the right mechanism for the devolved nations to contribute meaningfully to UK trade policy formulation. I can hear you laughing there, Fergus.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking you can say that again, Abby. Limitations yeah. indeed. There's there's questions, but no answers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, are you encouraged, though, by the, um, I think there's a new ministerial forum that's being set up to ensure the devolved nations can have a say in trade policy development. Do you, are you encouraged by that, or is it is it too little too late?
4: Well, we did set out last August a, a radical overhaul of arrangements, and after seven months, some ministerial meetings have been suggested. And um we, we we seek to be constructive and we will we we certainly wish to take part in any new fora um but it, we should have a guaranteed role in all the stages of formulation negotiation agreement and implementation that means being consulted being involved as a partner um not being told about decisions afterwards and you know unfortunately the experience we've had in much of the Brexit Brexit uh, process has been that we haven't been consulted. We've been told about things late afterwards. That's not the way to, to run any kind of, of partnership. Um, so I, I think that it's absolutely crucial that the devolved administrations are more properly involved. We, we have respected our confidences, the, the processes of government, perhaps more than some of the UK cabinet members have, quite frankly. So I think we've, we've earned our spurs, we've shown our worth. And And I certainly hope that Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland can play a full part in these matters. And any deal with Northern Ireland, incidentally, offering uh, concessions and arrangements with them must, of course, be replicated for the other devolved administrations.
0: Leslie, are you encouraged or is it too
5: little, too late? So, obviously, we do have a view and we want to work very constructively with the UK government on future trade policy. Obviously, trade policy is reserved, but that doesn't mean we don't have a view and we want to have an input, we don't just want to be a consultee. So I've made that point very clear to uh, UK government ministers at every opportunity it's really important we're involved early in the process so we can effectively share information and influence outcomes. Mm-hmm. Outside of the EU, we will have a much more direct interest in trade negotiations. So particularly those that have had, you know will have important interdependencies with key aspects of policy and regulatory context for devolved areas such as agriculture and fisheries. So at the moment, we have the opportunity to work with the UK government to influence EU negotiating mandates on new free trade agreements. That's to ensure that Welsh interests are protected. I think it would be really perverse if post Brexit, we had less opportunity to ensure trade policy doesn't adversely impact on those devolved policy areas. So you will have heard me say many times over the last uh, nearly one, well, nearly three years now. It's really vital that devolution is respected and that UK trade policy doesn't impact negatively on our key sectors. There are very, very clear risks to Wales if the UK government's future trade policy doesn't represent uh, the needs of our uh, industries. So I am pleased they've announced a new joint ministerial forum on international trade. We've been calling for this for a long time not formally met yet so obviously it's very early mm. days but we do want to see open and honest dialogue between us and the UK government on trade matters and I know some of my colleagues around the cabinet table are very interested in this also mm. so we'll be making a very strong case for Welsh farmers and other key Welsh industries in any future trade uh, talks and within my portfolio as you're aware we've got a really well-established interministerial group where we have representation from all For UK administrations, and that um, I would anticipate trade to be one of the many cross cutting areas directly affecting the portfolio, which we would discuss there and provide input to any wider discussions at an intergovernmental level.
0: Fergus raised the really interesting point about Northern Ireland and the possibility of them being given a seat at the table in any future trade talks with the EU as part of uh, Theresa May's ploy to bring them on side. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that Wales is being
5: ignored? Well, you know, obviously the discussion, it seems to me that the Prime Minister kind of looks to the DUP and the ERG. Um, Mm. You know, I I did the Welsh Government lobby briefing this morning and I was saying, you know, there is a deal there. If she would just look up and start to have some talks with other parties. And I think, you know, there is a deal there, but she needs to have some indicative votes in Parliament to see where the consensus is. So, you know, obviously Northern Ireland have been coming to our, our quadrilateral meetings you know, the permanent secretary from Northern Ireland has been coming. And I think it is important that we hear what they have to say, but we do feel obviously excluded. And from a funding perspective, it's just, you know, they have the billion pounds uh, confidence and supply money. There was an announcement last week of another 140 million pounds. You know, where's this money coming from? And why mm. is the kind of normal rule just being chucked out the window when it comes to these sorts of announcements?
1: Mm. Mm, okay all right as a as a beef producer myself i'm always very proud when i see the welsh flag on produce in the shops and supermarkets and i know uh, other welsh farmers are too and scottish producers feel the same do you think there's a real opportunity for welsh and scottish farmers to set their produce apart with future trade deals and is there some concern that if our produce is marketed under the union flag instead that the industry will suffer Uh, john perhaps you could answer this one first
3: I think there's probably an opportunity for a twin track approach here, which sees us gain access to some of these larger markets, whether it's um, Japan or China or other places like that, you know, well, to um, get the actual access to start off with. But then once we're there, we can really get at work to... um, you know, market the best products that we uh, supply. And obviously, they're recognized as some of the best in the world. You know, obviously, we have one of the best rugby teams in the world, and we've seen some <laughs> of the worst about in the last few days. And obviously, people are really happy and uh, and proud of that. And of course, you have some of the best best uh, Welsh beef and lamb and, and many other dairy products as well. So I think there's a real opportunity there, but we have to get into the marketplace to start off with. So we've got to work together and we've got to combine our resources and uh, open the doors and then we're away, is my uh, view on that.
5: So, Will, you'll be very aware of my views on this. It's not just farmers that are, are very proud to see the Welsh flag. I am too, and yeah. we absolutely support Welsh producers in all their efforts to differentiate their high-quality produce and raise their profile around the world. I think we've already set our produce apart. We proudly display our brand, Cymru, Wales, Uh at all industry and trade events, as well as the sub-brand that I mentioned, we've got um, Black Cymru Taste Wales uh, starting, well, this evening, tomorrow. We're also working to develop the sustainable brand values of Welsh food and drink production. So we've done some consumer research, which has demonstrated Welsh and English consumers value Welshness as synonymous with quality. Our biggest food, our biggest market for food and drink is England and Wales, and we cannot see this compromised by cheap imports, for instance. I think there's also growing recognition of the dragon in overseas markets. And again, it's increasingly seen as synonymous with quality products. And I think that's been demonstrated through our rapidly growing family of protected food name products. I think in the nearly three years I've been in portfolio, that's uh, doubled, that family of uh, PFNs has doubled. In a few new markets where the dragon is less well-known, we have showcased under the Food is Great banner as a short-term measure while we grow our identity and reputation. But I do think um, I've certainly seen that grow and grow. And wherever I go, I always talk about uh, the Welsh dragon. And again, that the briefing I did this morning, that question was raised. And I certainly want to continue to fly that Welsh flag.
2: Mm.
0: And Andrew, is this something you're equally concerned about in Scotland, food being marketed under the Union Jack?
2: I think John's actually hit the nail bang on the head there. We need to have a twin track approach. I was very fortunate. I was in Washington about two years ago and I got to speak to some of the people that were involved with the TTIP negotiations. And their whole view was you need to come in with a bit of scale. You can't just walk into this market as a wee 20 provider. Mm. Come in with a bit of scale. Be able to fill a lorry or a, a, a pallet is not enough. You've got to fill ship loads, lorry loads to get access to the market. But once you go in, as John said... You try and add the value after that by pointing Mm. out the differentiating between what's Scottish, what is British, what is Welsh, what is Northern Irish. Try and get that added value once you've got into the market, but getting in is the key thing, and we need to be able to do that.
0: Mm. I mean, I do feel, as the lone Anglo-Saxon here, it's my duty to represent the English really quickly. (laughs) Um, I saw a St George's flag on a product for the first time ever a few weeks ago. Why do you guys think it is that English farmers are more reluctant to brand their produce as English? Because it seems like producers here would rather make a virtue of their locality. So, Cheshire cheese, for example. I'm just really curious about why that is. So, would you, any of you buy produce with St. George's flag on it? I think <laughs> I'm I'm sure.
2: Sure. <laughs> I prefer this. We need a silence here, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 genuinely, I, I think a lot of the produce that's been marketed UK-wise is probably be, behind the, the the red tractor label. That's been taken it. Maybe some people mm-hmm. are thinking maybe the red tractor's not delivering what we expect it to deliver. I'm not sure. I'm just a, a speculation from my point of view.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think it might be an idea if uh, English producers were to to use that, that label. It would be up to them. And 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 mm. why not? Um, we we do. We're very keen to see the, the PGIs. Um, continue scotch lamb scotch beef um, and seven or eight others are very valuable commercially abby to our producers here and overall and the pan uk i think john mentioned earlier this this issue we're very keen to make sure that the high standards of welfare and regulation and uh, production mm. and hygiene in the uk very rigorously applied um, systems which are not evident in other parts of the world we're very keen to see that if Brexit happens, we're not flooded with cheap imports with beef and, and lamb and other meat produce and other agricultural produce which doesn't meet the same high standards that prevail here. I think that's an issue that I believe there's common ground and it must be with, I think, in a way that satisfies farmers that will be sufficient mm. and we will be enforced.
3: Yeah, I Mm, think I'd really agree with that because, you know, if we think about provenance and traceability and all those, that's the thing Mm. that modern consumer wants. They want to know all of these things. And, you know, in all fairness, there are some fantastic English products out there as well. So, you know, it's about Mm. telling that story and getting the message across effectively, isn't
2: it? I think if if you really want to look at the broad picture here, I would say if the... Production methods being used to provide that food that's being brought in would not be legal within this country to produce it under those standards. It shouldn't mm. be allowed in. Mm. It's as simple mm. as that to my mind. Yeah. It's it's
5: funny, isn't it? And um, you know, and, and we're going back to rugby again now, Abby. You, but
1: <laughs> everything goes back to rugby at the moment.
5: <laughs> I uh, went we went to England three weeks ago. I'll just repeat that. When will we speak English? Weeks <laughs> um, it,
2: it,
5: it's interesting because um, I was with some English people who absolutely view the the George Cross as their flag and not the Union Jack. But I think there's a kind of reluctance with people to, to express that view, English mm. people to express that view. And, you know, I represent a border constituency. So I quite often see, you know, if I just go over the border in, into Cheshire, I, I quite often see the St George flag but I don't think you see it um it, it, as much and, and you know you mentioned Chesh- Cheshire Cheese I think example and, and I don't get why that is the case mm. because certainly the Union Jack is, it seems to be the the default flag if you like for English food and I don't really get that yeah
1: no
0: mm. I, I, I think it's strange as well
1: mm. what about you
0: Will do you think English berries would sell as well in Wales as Welsh lamb sells in England
1: <laughs> I think, I, I, think the, I think the other guys have, have covered it really I mean I think there's some <laughs> wonderful pretty, uh, look at me sitting on the fence like a politician <laughs> yeah no I, I I think there's some wonderful producers across the British Isles and obviously we have uh, some of the highest welfare standards in the world in this country and I think we should all be very proud of that so um, yes I think I'll leave it there <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, on, on that diplomatic notes gentlemen I think sadly we'll have to leave it there though we could definitely chat about this for hours and hours so thank you to all our guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to talk to us today
2: and
1: to everyone listening thank you and keep your eyes peeled for the next farmer's guardian ploughing through brexit podcast which will be out next month and in the meantime you can keep up with all the daily political goings on and how they're affecting agriculture on farmer's guardians brexit hub at fginsight.com forward slash brexit